Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Well, Danny, I will never forgive myself after the last trade that we had for not hitting this sounder. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to report a trade. What are the terms? They're actually pretty basic in part because the Utah Jazz have so much cap space. But since the Jazz have that kind of flexibility, it is John Collins for Rudy Gay and a future second round pick. Which I don't think we know yet. This deal will I haven't not, seen it. Yeah, this deal will become legal on July 6th because uh, the Jazz will be taking Collins into cap space. What is the differential between those two gentlemen's salaries? Between Collins and Gay? Yeah. Roughly 19 million. Roughly 19 million. And then, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Well, because one of the one of the really fun wrinkles of this is that it's actually kind of uh, Dan talked about this really well in the Daily Dunks is that technically speaking, from Atlanta's perspective, by well, by waiting until the next league year, they're loosening the trade res- the the trade exception rules a little bit, and so you can add two hundred fifty thousand dollars instead of a hundred thousand dollars, and that is enough wiggle room for them to use the Justin Holiday exception for Rudy Gay. So instead, they're creating a $25 million trade exception for Collins rather than a much smaller one. Yeah, so this is the dynamic we've been talking about since this new CBA. Although, to be fair, as we'll talk about more, many of these aspects were well in place before the new CBA. But John Collins, we just talked about the Hawks extensively yesterday, and we posited that, hey, maybe he's not going to be traded because the Hawks are not willing to just give him up. They want value for John Collins. And I would say if they got some, we don't even know anything about this second. This could even just be a total fake second too. Might be just uh, win the press conference. We didn't give them up for nothing. It's not just a total dump. Uh, but even so, Rudy Gay is pretty much totally dead salary. Although he's he is like a good vet. Maybe he, he could fulfill that role for this group. So maybe he has some value there, but certainly not $6.5 million worth of value on what was a complete completely failed free agent signing by the Utah Jazz. Remember when they're like, oh yeah, Rudy Gay will play small ball center behind Rudy Gobert. So even if you're saying they took on 6.5 million at dead salary to get a second, like that's probably like about what the price is a lot of times to get a second anyway, depending on which second it is. And so they dumped John Collins. And we could talk from their perspective about why this probably was, if not necessarily a good deal, a necessary deal. But what the hell do you think of this for the Utah? Utah Jazz. 
it I, I'm sorry that I will frame this a little bit, but I have the Jazz in the mock-off season, and I had become pretty excited with some of the things that I was going to do with them. And when I saw this, I got very, very angry, in part from a selfish <laughs> standpoint, but in part from a less selfish standpoint, because John Collins is a good player, and it is worth emphasizing that there were iterations of the Jazz last year where they played, for example, Markinen, Olenek, and Kessler together, and it went very well, and they were able to make it work. So the idea... Even though I don't think of Barkanen as a true three, especially in the Vanderbilt lineups, the defensive assignments bounced around a fair amount. But you can play those guys together and you can do some of these different iterations. But I and John Collins is a good basketball player. And there are plenty of ways that the Jazz could spend money this year that will be worse than John Collins from a basketball standpoint, from a player plus contract standpoint. But to me, it also just makes the Utah Jazz fundamentally less interesting moving forward. Because these big groups, like the, the, this this Hawks team, or sorry, this Jazz team now, they're they're big, but they're not interesting big. Does that make sense to you? Just because there aren't a ton of guys with defensive versatility in that group, is that kind of what defensive you mean? versatility, but also like significant, like they have good offensive players, but not the like, oh god, this is going to be a really big problem for you. Like John Collins is a good player, and I think he's become underappreciated at times and underutilized at times. But it's it's a bet on something that typically, even if it works in the regular season, doesn't go too far beyond that. And the Jazz, they were exciting enough to me that I thought they could aim higher. I guess that, that's another way of putting it. There's This has just been an absolutely fascinating dynamic that we've seen take place over the last week or so. And the initial thoughts with this new CBA is, oh man, second apron, all these teams are going to be totally screwed. You know, They're just going to have to get off money. That's why you're seeing a bunch of things happen. And you know, the Warriors, second apron, that's why they made the pool deal. I think that the second apron is too facile and explanation for many of these things even though like Woj brought it up in his story and it's just it's like no this is nothing to do with the second apron for the Hawks if they were we're operating the exact same CBA they would have operated the exact same way because there's no way that a Hawks team is going to be going into the tax as far as the second apron anyway so that aspect of it I other than a couple of teams I don't think the the second apron is really exerting significant downward pressure. I think there's some, you know, Golden State maybe, Clippers, we'll see where they end up. Maybe Milwaukee is going to be in that range. Maybe the Lakers, depending on what they do with their kind of option non-guarantee guys, potentially. Yeah, and Denver. And there's definitely, in terms of like the mid-level being smaller as well, the taxpayer mid-level and being shorter, you know, th- that that definitely matters. Like there's, to me, maybe there's even more incentive than ever to stay out of the first apron. And then it's like, oh, maybe there's even more incentive to stay out of the tax. Uh, I, like I do think we might see even more of a split between the like absolute crazy crazy going for it phoenix suns type of teams and some of the other teams but regardless i'll admit there's some downward pressure being placed on some of these salaries but i don't know how much more significant it is for most of these teams than what there was before what i think people have not focused on enough and i hope that we have focused on it enough i think it's been a consistent theme although it just it's not because you can't look at these teams and be like they have to do they have to move this one player right like okay see utah if they have money to spend you don't look at them and be like okay 
Like one of these guys has to go, right? Like Miami or Atlanta, like we talked about yesterday. So maybe it's, it hasn't been quite as interesting to analyze. And we also like, oh, well, maybe they're going to just actually sign somebody in free agency. And that's how they'll use their space. But we try to focus as much as it makes sense to on the idea that the minimum salary rules are coming. You can't do what OKC did and what San Antonio did where you're just way below the salary floor and then you just everyone on your roster just gets paid. To reiterate, there's really you essentially have to be at you don't have to, but you there's zero advantage to being below the salary floor as of the first day of the regular season. And I'm not sure I tweeted about this today. Is there and I think it may vary from year to year as well based on what teams are where and which teams the ones that have cap space how good of markets they are etc i think some years you're gonna see that the price of getting off salary like actually isn't that bad uh because these seems like shit we gotta spend it on something we might as well get like a little something here other years maybe there just won't be cap space teams and then you're or maybe those cap space teams will actually like houston be like trying to sign a real player uh which utah and okc apparently that's not their plan uh and those aren't great markets so maybe they i'm sure they have a decent idea of what might have been out there for them but so i think that's really gonna like there'll be times when it's actually not that hard to get off a salary other times when uh, maybe it's a lot harder than expected i think would you agree with me so far danny that the two transactions of the silk that we've seen i guess the three transactions of the silk that we've seen if you want to count pool in there even though that's for future years have all kind of come at less pain to the team getting off a salary than you might have expected yes I would say that is the case, and it has been striking when we think about the pressure that those franchises with cap space have exerted at times in the past. There have been times I've criticized OKC for letting teams off cheap previously, too. But yeah, I mean, especially the Breton trade, but I think where in that yeah. circumstance, it was unambiguously negative salary and the cost was functionally moving up two picks in the draft and not moving up two picks from like four to two. It was moving from from right. 12 to 10. And it is striking. And there could be, you know, in some cases, an early mover's advantage. And in some cases, it might be a late mover's advantage. You might have to be able to read it where, like, I think Dallas played it really well. Maybe. And I mean, even, you know, Sacramento getting off of Rashawn Holmes like that, that didn't come really. Oh, yeah. To- yeah. Sorry. That's you're right. I mean, yeah, that one was a little more expensive. Actually, I think that that was kind of about what the price has been previously. More previously. Consider, yes. Like, yeah. Like 24 million in dead salary for the number 24 pick. And, and I don't about kind of and I don't think of Holmes as 24 million dead salary. Like I see Bertans yeah. to me as a more negative player remaining contract than Holmes in part also because you get if Holmes opts in two years of Holmes versus one year of Davis Breton and also I think Holmes has more potential but so that is a a really important part of this and it's also different in a lot of these cases actually in all of the ones of modern vintage these haven't been one year getting off the money and and a lot of, a lot of these you know Poole and Collins in particular are good basketball players even if they're some would say they're overpaid where these are multi-year obligations I mean John Collins is getting paid 78.5 million over the remaining three seasons, though he could cut that a year short with a player option that's worth uh, 26.6 million. And of course, you assume that the player will make the correct decision in that circumstance. But that is, you know, that's a different thing to take on than these, like you and I have talked about, the like keeping the powder dry moves that a team like Utah, if they hadn't done this, or Orlando has done in the past, where you're taking on money, but you're not, you're not impinging on future seasons like the Jazz with 2024. And that's 
a part of what makes this so surprising. So from from a kind of a player value standpoint, I think John Collins is a good player. I think that he can help them. And by having a reliable defender behind him, I don't know how much five he's going to play. Maybe they'll try out Collins marking in the four or five in either configuration. But so that part of it, you know, like you got a good player, maybe you can rehab his value. The cap is going up, everything else. Like all of those are completely reasonable. And Danny Ainge making this kind of bet, especially after, you know, it sounds like there was maybe some sort of offer or like this at the deadline. And the Hawks just said, no, like we want more for him and then conceded it. And I think actually that's the next place I want to talk about this more with the well, Jazz. Can, but let me let me ask you one, one question here because it, it's sure. a follow up on what you're talking about. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. So uh, let's just go over it here since we have, just because we're all new to this CBA, I want to just go over what happens if you don't actually get to the minimum salary. So if you are at less than the minimum of the first, uh, as of the first day of the regular season, you have to pay that difference to the NBA and then that gets distributed to all the players, not just the players on your team. And remember, this is as of the first day of the regular season. Team salary counts as the minimum as well. So you can't, you don't get any addition and transaction action basically your team's already just gets bumped up to the floor to, yeah the yeah sorry the floor is the better way to start. the minimum team sell you don't get any tax distribution at all i think in future years this year i think you would get 50 percent of the tax distribution so that yeah that's basically what you've got so there's just there's it's not really like uh, the big disadvantage is that you don't get any tax distribution that's the thing that's like the real hammer but from a competitive standpoint so so i guess that, that's right like i think Think there's actually a fear because of not getting that tax distribution of actually not being at the minimum salary now you could always just sign some schlub off the street for a a uh you know non-guaranteed amount or something like that like just a, a mu- as much guaranteed as you need to get to the minimum salary like, like you you no team will ever just get stuck uh although i guess yeah because you could just you'll have the cap space you could just use it the one problem there might be if you wanted to like kind of pretend to be an over the cap team but utah's not in that circumstances like if you just so you keep all your trade exceptions and stuff so you can definitely if you're on the day before the regular season you could just sign some guy and pay him a bunch of money and make an agent happy that way even though it's not that great so that uh, that doesn't concern what would concern me so I, th- I think the question that i get to then is would you rather as utah have done this deal now let's say your only two options were you do this deal or you just get stuck in that circumstance where you're you don't use the money and you just have to like pro forma get up to 
the minimum salary and just pay somebody to do that? Which of those, the binary, which of those two options is better to you? I think Collins had an unusually bad 22-23 season, so I would rather have him than that sort of a hit, even with the multi-year obligation. Yeah, because really, I think the opportunity cost is more for next year, but still, even with John Collins next year, they are slated to have $60 million. Now, that could disappear quickly if they re-sign Jordan Clarkson, uh, if they want to give Taylor Horton Tucker a new contract. We don't know if he's going to opt out yet. If they want to renegotiate and extend Lowry Markkinen, which you feel surely will be coming, and that that will take about $20 million in space just right there to do that. Uh, but they may also just be like, hey, our, our cap space just isn't that valuable. And you look at it like there are a lot more teams that are going to have cap space next year, and so we're, we'll just be back in the same situation again. Big free agents don't sign in Utah, so I'm like right on the fence about it to, to answer my own question. Like I think if John Collins works out, then maybe he's worth that salary and maybe he helps you win. I think part of what I don't like about this well, actually, no, I think there's one other potential aspect to it, too, which is they have all these draft picks and they need someone else who can kind of be matching salary going forward as well. Like He doesn't necessarily have to stay in Utah. But Danny Ainge does have, he's shown like a weakness for power forwards and power players. You know, his fashion is like David Lee and Gershon Yabusele over the years. Like he definitely seems to value power forwards more than they really are valued in the modern game. And so I guess now the question becomes, and this is part of the answer to my own question, what is this U? Utah team look like on the floor here at least as far as what they have under contract going into next season and and then even in the long term if you were to look at it you know on just just basically on paper you know John Collins for the coming year making 25.3 Markadin making 17.3 Walker Kessler is still on rookie scale contract for three more seasons and he's only making 2.8 you know, that's that's very reasonable financially. And as you mentioned, it doesn't necessarily, depending on some of these option decisions, preclude the Jazz from making some moves. And I'm having to console myself with that as I'm planning their mock-off season. Um, but what I, you know, what I have trouble with is how this really shakes out into, you know, they have some big problems to solve. I mean, the biggest one for me, and it's a parallel they have with the Oklahoma City Thunder, the another team that made one of these moves is, oh, sorry, not with OKC, um, with Orlando is that what the biggest thing they need is a like dynamic primary ball handler. And there are a lot of different ways to get that player. You, you could do it through the draft, you could do it through a trade, you could do it through free agency, but it typically takes a fair amount of capital to get that player if you don't draft them yourselves and if you don't have the pick to draft them yourselves. And so maybe Collins is positive value in that trade. Like we've talked about this a little bit with Pool too, where there's the on court and the off court of just like the value bet. But I guess let's let's focus on on court. How do you think of the Collins fit? I think it makes him better now presumably they'll just start marketing at the three once more and maybe this will also mean that kelly olenic could be available and trade out see them getting a first for him he also expires like they might just keep him around guys get injured and stuff too just have if you've got if you say marketing's gonna play half as minutes at the three you still got enough minutes probably to get a linux some and guys are gonna miss time of course too uh so but you know you then you can play marketing at either the four or the five and you can as long as it includes marketing you can basically go with just about any combination of these guys collins hopefully shoots it well enough to mostly play at four but you could play marketing collins together you could play marketing collins linux together if you wanted to and it gives you a lot of size they don't have great defense on the perimeter by any means but you feel like side and none of those guys other than kessler are amazing defenders although marketing i thought has shown a few signs lately so you've got it a group that's versatile and just has good players and because of the shooting you can probably play well enough 
enough that way. You got Kessler behind Markinen and Cons if they get blown by. And there's been a theory of the case with them last year. And then Markinen even at three with the two rim protectors behind him back in Cleveland. So yeah, I think this makes the Jazz better. I, maybe they overpaid a little bit. They got a little bit of a discount because they got off a gay salary. And I guess the big question just becomes like, what is the opportunity cost here? Like there is an opportunity cost of $25 million in salary. You can say they're cheap enough overall that maybe that doesn't matter. But as you know, they need a primary ball handler. And I would say maybe even more, they need like a real three. And this is using up at least some resources and not getting that guy. But when you look at their war chests of players or their war chest of picks, they really want to throw in for a guy who's under contract. They could probably try to go overpaying and get that guy when they're ready to win. It also augurs that they're trying to take a step forward, it seems like, this upcoming year. And I guess we'll see what happens the, the rest of the way there. I think their guards are not really good enough. It seems like they'll, if they are going to sign or bring in Collins and they'll re-sign Clarkson and uh, that they'll probably, their, their backcourt maybe will look somewhat similar to the way it did last year. Maybe they'll try to bring in one more point guard or a couple of cheap wing options or well, something like one, that. one note on looking like it did last year is that it looked a whole hell of a lot better when they had Mike Connolly versus when they didn't and so right. that'll that'll shift things and you know they can maybe add in a low-end guy but part of the challenge with the 2023 free agent class is that there aren't those like steady steward type of guys so there there isn't yeah. a discount Mike Connolly in this class at all so maybe you can get somebody by trade but I don't know that any team is looking to offload a player like that and i think that could end up being a real like it could end up being simultaneously a drag on the 23 24 jazz and a potential boom for the 24 25 jazz if they can find that player next year deadline offseason wherever they come from yeah if they really wanted to be better this year they could try to target a spencer dinwiddie or someone like that or maybe markel fultz would be someone they could look at a little bit uh, or bring in one of the caretakers guys out of washington that would be another possibility monte morris maybe tyus jones maybe delon wright i would want the former two of those a little bit more and javon carter could be an interesting guy to try to sign in for Egypt, but they definitely do need still more passing on this team and that's kind of their big their big problem well, here's another kind of yeah. fundamental question for Will Hardy to navigate is they depending on how teams respect John Collins as a jump shot as a jump shooter, which he had some real trouble trouble last year. It's part of why it was so much less effective offensively. One of the frustrations with Collins on the Hawks was the idea that when you don't use him in the primary action, then it's just hard to keep him as involved. And that's not that's just the nature of big men who don't do well with the ball in their hands in general. And so some of those problems, even if the Jazz have Lowry Markinen, they're still going to be playing a center who doesn't shoot a fair amount of the time. They're still going to be trying to navigate this offense. And so can they get the flow right? Because I'm concerned that parts of it will work but then parts of it really will not one other thing to watch out for for these guys you know you remember how good they were offensively before they moved on some of these other guys big part of that was offensive rebounding mm -hmm. and john collins was a really good offensive rebounder at times that was a big strength of some of those teams in atlanta they showed it that as a strength briefly in their victory over the heat in the play-in keep an eye on these guys in the offensive class i think they part of the idea here was they realized how much of a strength that was for them last year and that they're gonna especially when kessler and collins are both out there together like those would be two really good offensive rebounders should we turn to so what was your final answer on whether you would have done this or not done it as the jazz in your framing i would have in my you know you have other options to avoid the floor i would have done something else 
yeah, I I want to see what happens with some of these other teams that have space and where they end up. I think that'll be the ultimate determination if some of these other teams that have space do better in terms of like getting people. That's the other thing though. It's like they have so many draft picks already. It's kind of like I have to eat more <laughs> at this point. And we've seen that the price to get off of guys wasn't that high. So yeah, like I said, I'm right in the borderline of on this and i talked myself into it a little bit I, I think there's definitely the idea that he's a collins is a little bit of a distressed asset and if they were a team that just obviously needed a starting power forward a little bit more like that's kind of the thing that's a little disappointing is now marketing's gonna be doing this starting three thing again that's not as exciting uh yeah so from atlanta's standpoint what do you got there i'm working on a collaborative sorry, sorry one more one more thing on the jazz okay. uh their remaining cap space now i don't think we actually said what that number is we'll start with the if they wanted to, well, all right, was, they could still wave a Linux and lop off nine million of this. If Clarkson and Horton Tucker both opt in, then they're basically right at the salary floor. At that point, they would have a uh, you know thirteen million or so in space. If no, I'm sorry, that's more like eleven in space. Uh, Clarkson makes fourteen, Horton Tucker makes eleven. If they bring both of those guys back, they'll probably basically be done. If both of them opted out and a Linux, they wanted to move on from a Linux as well, then they could still get up over 40 million in space in theory but it seems obvious that they don't but, have anything that they want to do. yeah to, to me the more likely paths there and clarkson is, is a potential variable there but i think clarkson there's a possibility he opts out and gets some more money just over different years is yeah between they're kind of choosing between 12 13 million and 21 if they waived olenic they could wave and stretch him to get a little bit more but that um that's the basic the basic choice there i also think that keeping a linux if another team isn't interested in trading for him at that full 12.2 million is less palatable now because a that's your best path to improving in the near term but also because a linux just has a smaller place part to play in the overall rotation because how many more minutes do you really have at the four and the five for him and he doesn't you know i like his passing i think he can make them better so i think it makes it more likely he gets waived but more likely doesn't mean it's over 50 percent. it just means it's higher than it was before yeah they're just going to be an interesting team i think they realized once they found marketing and with how good kessler was they tried their damnedest to tank down the end of last year and they still couldn't even really do it until they just put everyone in a cage at the end of the year but uh and even then they still like won a few games will hardy is a really good coach so it would have been nice if they could have kind of continued the rebuild and actually gotten their own high pick that's sort of the thing that's really missing if you think of what this team would have looked like with like an even an amen thompson in there or a brandon miller they would look so much better at this point um so but i think they're like hey we can't be bad so we might as well try to be good we might as well try to make the playoffs here and so that would seem to indicate that clarkson will be back probably at something slightly above the mid-level the years there will be interesting and horton tucker just another young piece there's no reason to let him go i don't know that he has a great market elsewhere either and you, know, you bring those guys back and you want to renegotiate and extend market in and you're probably mostly done even with cap space next year assuming each of those guys get longer term deals sorry sorry to uh interrupt you there but we need to finish up on utah so now the atlanta so i'm working on a collaborative piece with john krasinski about the the wolves and i i made a i took great pain oh yeah we should do their off-season preview thank you um and <laughs> one of the points that i made nick because we were talking about the wolves as you and i did yesterday about the team moving forward and how expensive they are and he was like oh well can they do this and i'm like the answer in all in almost all of these circumstances particularly in, with bird rights is the answer is they can it's just ownership's palatability and willingness to spend it and i think that's important to remember with this 
is I'm not saying, you know, deserve is a, is a different part of it. And I think that lets owners off the hook. Like they, the, the Hawks gave up a good basketball player, even if he was underutilized for these primary purpose, not the sole purpose, but the primary purpose of saving money. And this is probably the cleanest way to do it of any of the options that were available. Though I honestly think if they were willing to take basically nothing for him, they could have maybe done that with somebody else. I don't know if it would have made them better. So it's disappointing from the Hawks, even if the reality that owners typically don't pay for teams like this is unsurprising. Yeah, the story by Woj, you could tell that the Hawks are definitely like on the team with him because it had all the talk points it had oh they have to do this because of the new cba and then it also had well tony Russell says that he they can go into the tax to facilitate a contender basically and that to me it, it almost reminds me of uh it's actually a terrible analogy so i'll just analyze that okay you can go the owner says to the gm hey i'm happy to pay the tax for a contender how do you hear that as a gm how does that actually motivate you and what you're doing if you're someone who's concerned about impressing this guy and not losing reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I mean, it generally leads to moral hazard. At least you thinking like, hey, you generally believe in the players that you have. And then you think, oh, a couple of things would make us a little bit better. But you're extremely reluctant because being over and not being good enough is the easiest path to not only getting fired pretty quickly, but not having enough success on your ledger that you'd be sure to get another job. So I think it would generally lead to being more conservative unless you had a a better feel for the uh, owner than that yeah and i think that that maybe this is the the intended purpose but when you say that i think it's a good way for the owner to make the gm given the incentives value the actual money the way the owner does the owner but it maybe even makes the gm a little bit too risk averse because of the incentives that you noted there where yeah guess what if they just held on to john collins and held on to all these guys no this isn't going to be a home court advantage team this isn't going to be a team getting the eastern conference final in all likelihood so you say hey if that's if we have a limited chance here or, or maybe you'd be like ah you know we could hold on to john collins now maybe he breaks out we can move more eh, but it's also kind of risky like he couldn't shoot the three last year maybe the glow of what he's been in the past falls off and you can't move in the future and then you're stuck with this bill and like it's a problem that compounds itself not only you disappoint john collins doesn't play well and then you also were more expensive and disappointed relative to the amount of money that you have on the books already and then you can't trade the guy either so it's 
it's just it, there's a lot of risk there and so when you say as tony wrestler i'm willing to pay the tax for a contender that sort of implies i am not willing to pay the tax for a non-contender and these guys are a non-contender as of right now and so they move on from it. i'm not even saying that that's a wrong thing by tony wrestler like if i were in his standpoint i wouldn't green light the tax for this team unless i just had so much money i literally didn't care like balmer i'm like yeah like why should i especially if we can move on from him and not be worse on the floor this year which we probably won't be and we'd rather go long term with Sadiq Bay and Jalen Johnson looks okay and you know we'll develop those guys uh, leave some more space to sign DeJounte Murray later DeAndre Hunter is maybe not as good as Collins but also is plays a more valuable position that's harder to replace yeah I'll just like go go buy a helicopter or something instead <laughs> like I I we're, we're not gonna be I don't think John Collins is gonna make that big of a difference for this Hawks team he might end up with injuries or whatever but uh so in this case yeah i'm totally on board with them just dumping him like this and the fact that i think it was a good thing that they came around to the idea of like hey you know what if we can if we can get him treated as even neutral ish salary it's time to dump him so i'm glad they came to that conclusion because it seemed like that that was what was preventing a collins trade previously and and there's always going to be a lot of attention paid to the players and you know beal was of course a logical parallel to this where they could have gotten significantly more for this player in the past than they got for the eventual trade now beal situation i mean not the only time they could have would have been before like two years ago before he signed the the new contract i don't think of collins and beal as analogs in this but the idea that like their trade stock like john collins value was higher around the league before you know even i would say the moment he signed that extension he i don't think he could have been traded for pasta maybe i'm wrong that maybe i think i think he had some constituencies but not a ton of i mean you remember there are lots of players who are who have flaws that that can especially if they can score points that that can happen because think of the timeline right after 21 everyone's trying to hide on the hog after the conference finals appearance played pretty well there but then and he was doing okay but maybe a little bit worse throughout the 21 22 regular season so maybe at the deadline you could have gotten a little more for him then and then he has a he gets hurt doesn't really play at all in the playoffs and basically he's been terrible since then with a few exceptions so i I think once you got past that 22 trade deadline there is not they could not have traded him they they tried to and they couldn't i mean they they want i think they even wanted to trade him at at the 21 trade deadline and and couldn't get anything or the 22 trade deadline excuse me after he was on the so now the hawks where are they financially with the departure of collins and does that open anything up for them as far as free agency potentially so getting off of collins and i mean they still do have have rudy gay on the books that puts them you know depending on how they deal with some of these non-guarantees um bruno fernando tyrese martin vicrisci we talked about some on yesterday's pod I think it's plausible that they could use the non-taxpayer mid-level now, which is about $12.4 million. Remember, the cap estimate going up means that the mid-level would go up as well, just not a ton, just a little bit. I still wonder what the sales pitch potentially is to some of those players. They don't really have ball handling minutes available, not only with Trey and DeJounte Murray, but they also added Kobe Bufkin with yeah. they, they a, need a third point guard and they but need another true wing player too. It, wing is, is I think where you could potentially like you open, you open up a spot in the rotation. You could do it now. So there also just aren't that many like non-taxpayer mid-level, just like guys out there, you know, like get, Kyle Kuzma is going to get more than that. And if you, a few other, yeah. so, so, it it opens up a path. I don't know how fruitful that path is. I I do think that that's a good way to use it. Maybe you could pay somebody like a Linux a little bit more, or 
or you could split it among two guys or something else. But that is what opens up it, for for the immediate is the non-taxpayer middle level for this offseason. Yeah, they're about $13 million below the tax. Uh, they would want a little bit more wiggle room there. They also don't even have, they don't have to use the entire full mid-level either. They could use $9 million or something as well. Uh, and there's there's not really an obvious, I guess if they really needed to, they could just try to move off a gay at the deadline or they could stretch him even if they had someone who's like a great get at the full mid-level. The bigger problem though is going beyond one year because then you've got the Murray extension potentially kicking in you've got Sadiq Bey needing a new contract at that point you've got a Congo needing a new contract so I think whatever they do unless it's someone they feel is just an amazing deal it's probably only a one year is all they can offer uh so I I don't expect that to result in, in a major score for them and as you noted they're still pretty deep so that I don't know that there's anyone they bring in other I mean maybe you just you try to get a another decent guard like you know to play the role that Aaron Hall's here what else we got here news wise one that really interests interests me is coming out of memphis where they the memphis grizzlies have picked up the team option on xavier tillman and the reason this matters is because especially with the reporting that they are not going to bring back dylan brooks not that any sort of a net reporting there is binding it looked like particularly after the john morant suspension because that's going to trim a portion off of his salary and off of their salary cap calculations that memphis would use part of the wiggle room they had to pay Tillman more now in exchange for paying him less later. It is entirely possible that this option is an indication that Tillman, at least for right now, was not willing to agree to those terms. Um, But now this means that absent an extension, which Tillman would still be eligible to sign, you know, he could do something even Nas Reed style, like late, late in the, in the process, you know, like late, late June next year. But it seems like uh, absent that Tillman's going to hit unrestricted free agency next summer. Yeah, there's two possibilities for why they opted into it number one is they just plan to do something else with their money and number two is that he just wasn't willing they couldn't agree on what the value was i'm more inclined to think it's the latter because i think tillman he's like hey i'm gonna start for you guys all i'm gonna have a good market if i play as well as i played in the playoffs like i'm gonna be getting either here or somewhere else i'm gonna get you know mid-level exception type of money with steven adams uh, and his uh, pcl issue that's a big question mark of course you've got brandon Clark, who tore his Achilles, I mean, like he's going to be the starter, going to play 25 minutes a game, and I think pretty good. So I think ultimately they probably just couldn't agree on the value is the most likely explanation for this. And historically, most players in this circumstance have just been opted into that fourth year, but of course that'll make him unrestricted next year. He would have been restricted this year. I think we could go to the to the Raptors. I mean, again, we're in speculation season, but um, OGM. Oh, should, no- we, should we? Are we doing? We're doing their off season, right? Oh yeah, you're right. So we could just do that then. Never mind. <laughs> um, I mean, the Dame saga continues to go on. I think that you know, they they uh, Lillard and Aaron Goodwin had a conversation with the team. Joe Cronin said they had a great dialogue and they remain committed to building a winner and depth around Damian Lillard. A lot of what we've said previously, I think, still applies. This doesn't really change 
anything. I enjoyed that the Dallas Mavericks did their introductory press conference today and within that press conference included a potential number change for a player who is not currently employed by them, which is Kyrie Irving. Irving, of course, is an unrestricted free agent. If he is still a Maverick, his number will change to number 11. Tim Hardaway Jr. is changing to number 10. Derek Lively is going to take number two. It does kind of make you feel like it's probably all worked out and he's coming back there, especially with these the noise coming out that like the Mavericks will have the mid-level exception and if Kyrie takes his max no they will be hard pressed to use their mid-level even after the moves that they made so this again another indication that Kyrie will be returning there and concomitant with that there's previous reporting that maybe Kyrie would be like the third choice of the Houston Rockets and according to Mark Stein they are targeting Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks with their 60 million in cap space and maybe they weren't willing to go to James Harden's number all the noise seems to be like he's looking towards returning to Philly lately anyway the number that would because you would think that Houston even though it's home they would have had to outbid the Sixers and I mean that's just such a massive number on their books if they were going to give him full and as we talked about when we did their offseason outlook Fred Van Vliet actually does fit like he is someone who can pass but he can also play out the ball like he he actually is someone that I think really will help their young players develop Brooks I'm a little less sanguine on though that seems like kind of a reach there they also don't have as clear a, a kind of a niche for him when you think about yeah the minutes that they want for everybody they also already have Jay Sean Tate and I actually like and Tar Eason who I like quite a bit so Brooks adds to their overall talent level without making the team as much better because of what he does to their spacing particularly with Amen Thompson and they're not really playing shooting at the five all the time so you can get into some real cloggy lineups there and so yeah I, I don't love Dylan Brooks as a fit there are structures where it's like hey you bring him in you try to do it as arbitrage and then you could theoretically move him somewhere else maybe even a trade that saves the other team money you know sort of like what we talked about the theory of the Chris Paul trade like there are for the Warriors there there are pathways to that but my instinct is a we don't know if Dylan Brooks is willing to sign that kind of contract he owes it to himself to you know to at least consider a long-term contract if the if he thinks the annual value is reasonable but also if Dylan Brooks is going to sign that kind of contract so like the most the way that this would be good for the Rockets he should probably do that with someone else like you could go somewhere where you're definitely starting where you're on a good team where you get well, playoff he'll, he'll shine surely start well no but like playoff start like you know like get those uh, those those eyeballs like not just necessarily like the you know you're still on a team that isn't very good and you know like the Rockets maybe in a rosy version of this they like make the play in maybe they make some noise in the first round like I think that's a not you know like a, an absolute best case but like a reasonable best case for them so for Brooks I think he can do better than that and most of the other ones would be a mistake for a contract for Houston well I think all they need to do to get him is pay slightly above the mid-level because that's really all the other teams that would be interested in him would be offering and I think there is a chance to turn him into a guy with positive trade value at that number I would have been willing to pay Dylan Brooks more than that throughout most of last season and then just just things completely fell apart in the playoffs and he may even be worth that much now it's it's really my big greater concern than the asset play is just how it all fits in chemistry wise and personality wise just adding another non-shooter to the team that's basically been the worst shooting team in the league the last years kind of bothers me some but you can at least just throw him on a guy and like raise the intensity level i mean that's the one thing you can say at least is if your eyes were subjected to rockets transition defense and just their overall 
defensive effort level the last few years at least like dylan brooks is going to up that to some degree and i think also ime yudoka is the sort of coach who he at least believes that he can reach difficult personalities and he can challenge guys and that maybe he feels that his direct style can keep dylan brooks's worst offensive impulses in line so i'm not going to say that this like can't work i've kind of talked myself into it a little more as we've gone through because on the surface the fit is just like yeah you know you've got tari eason you've got some of these other young defenders i think the other thing um, is if the men thompson yeah, has defensive potential right, right exactly so this i think they just feel like they need to change the culture they're not they're not going to just they'll give some minutes to a men thompson they're not going to just like have <laughs> i'm sorry i know you meant right. it in a different way but using the phrase we need to change the culture and the answer being to bringing in dylan brooks is amazing well i think it will change the culture I, that is that is true i think that is true i didn't say it would necessarily get better <laughs> yeah you you throw them all top cocktail in and then you just get a different problem <laughs> so yeah. i don't well, know if I mean, you in terms part. of changing the culture what i meant though is yeah i know you guys should. are just entitled to go out there and make mistakes and nothing's gonna happen thought this was just slightly interesting from mark earlier today that nas reed was expected to generate some interest around the mid-level dallas and san antonio interesting we're maybe gonna be looking at at him and yeah san antonio is gonna be fascinating and they they haven't made any moves yet they have all this space they got victor in are they gonna actually try to go get some players i've talked about grant williams being a great fit there as well uh this is good news out of okc danny especially for those of us who really love summer league chet holmgren progressing through his recovery and there's hope that he'll be able to play during summer league and that would be great to see holmgren you know getting to play with some of these young thunder players and also of course that bodes extremely well for his ability to be a part of the thunder regular season roster in october i thought he had some social media posts late in the season about you know some free chat shit or something like that like implying that he might actually be able to play as they were making their their playoff push so i'm guessing as conservative as presty usually is in his statements the fact he's even alluding to this means that as of right now the play. but uh speaking of san antonio looks like victor Wembanyama will not now be playing in the world cup for france i think that's the right decision for him i mean it is kind of sad to be prioritizing summer league over the world championship but also it's quite possible that maybe they've got other guys who are going to play or maybe just that their team wasn't going to be that good and he didn't want to play and there's a lot of travel it would have just been too many games especially the way that these non-american teams run it it is a pretty fatiguing process we saw Danilo Gallinari get hurt in international play just last year and the fact that the world cup is right before the olympics uh really makes the world cup just be kind of this runt tournament at this point point. and then i think the last piece of news that we should cover which happened a couple of days ago but is significant potentially for the league is that happened right around the time of the i think that was the paul pool deal is that late last year the nba tweaked their rules to allow sovereign wealth funds to be able to buy a kind of a a non-controlling interest can't be more than 20 percent of a team um and then there there are further restrictions on it and we have seen the first of those investments Uh, the qatari investment authority is buying a stake in monumental sports and entertainment monumental not only owns the washington wizards but they also have the washington capitals the washington mystics and the capital one arena and the monumental sports network which is an rsn regional sports network so it is definitely a notable it is a notable thing it is a a change that kind of in some ways because of when it happened and everything else kind of flew under some radars but 
yeah, you could phrase it in terms of passive investing and everything like that, but it is a real change for the NBA that we're now seeing in actual practice. Yeah, and certainly there are many concerns. Of course, Live Golf and all the PGA stuff uh, has been at the forefront of this, but this uh, has been a, a fixture of some of these entities from, uh, shall we say, slightly more unsavory governments uh, in the Middle East, owning European soccer teams and making a big difference. In this case, there is a, a limitation, at least on them actually having control. I think there's going to be somewhat of a voice there, though. But considering that this is a business, this raises the tide for everyone, except the players who don't. Uh, well, actually, no. Now it will actually raise the tide for the players because the players have this ability to invest in teams uh, as well through uh, the new CBA. So they'll potentially get a piece of this. And it also can raise the consciousness uh, of basketball in the Middle East, which is a new market. And it's a market that has a lot of money. And, and we've seen the NBA play in the Middle East. I think they it was didn't the uh, Hawks and Bucks play in Abu Dhabi last year, I want to say. And I think that's, that'll be a fixture going forward. So this is growing the game. I think there is a little bit of when you get into moralizing about certain owners and how they got their money and where you draw that line, that's it's a difficult thing to do. I am not at all a fan of what a lot of uh, these Middle Eastern countries do government wise. And so having them as investors is not amazing. I mean, I'm not a, a huge fan of Joe Tsai's take on Hong Kong either, right? I think there's just uh, ultimately I, this just doesn't seem like that big of a difference to me than kind of anything else that's been happening. Like, I'm not thrilled about it, I think, but I think there are a lot of potential downsides here. And th- there's the well, other so, factor. So what are they? What are the downsides? I mean, you're you're allowing, even if it says in a more passive way, and I, I firmly believe that that is only non-controlling does not mean not having a voice in the room, especially in some of these circumstances. And the complicated relationships potentially between, oh, they don't own all this much of the team, but maybe they have other financial relationships which impact everything. But again, they could have those without this. Um, It, it opens the door, I because I, I, I could imagine them being, using this as cover to approve and Entities that they would that the that the league would not approve of otherwise. Like you could think about, you could think of plenty of different whether we want to talk about European soccer and the idea that I mean, sports washing is is a very real concern and it, it's well, you well know, so it's, it's it's a really it's a real concern in what way? Like I, I don't think that this is the same as having the world part uh, the World Cup in Qatar. It, it's like, not. I thought, I thought that was ridiculous. That they it was that. ridiculous, but I think that you taking you know taking this money provides some some element of legitimacy and it, it, and do there are some enterprises i'm not saying that the qatari investment authority is one of these particular i don't I, I you know i have my issues with the world cup but that's that's its own thing but you are giving them a version of legitimacy by having them invest in your product and so by opening the door more you create the possibility of that existing i agree with you that it exists with people who are already in and the league does not do a the league does i'm not gonna say they don't do a good job they do a terrible job of of making like ensuring the quality of ownership around the league because they're trying to protect their own and everything else. I've criticized this a lot in the past, but you know, I, I see it. I see there, you know, I could see there being groups that get involved and it's not going to be as egregious with the current safeguards in place as European soccer, but that's a pretty damn low bar. So I, I, I see some downside risk here and just in allowing them to associate, allowing them to have the cover of, oh, look, we have this with an NBA team. There are entities that you'd rather not have associated. And when you get a choice of who is a part of it, then you can wield that choice. Yeah, I guess the sports washing of like, oh, now they're legitimate because they're 20% owners that we're probably never going to see it. That's not compelling to me. What is 
compelling is, all right, if the Washington Wizards want to have Pride Night. Exactly. Are, are they not going to do that now because of the Qatari approach uh, to homosexuality, right? Like that's, I mean, I, that doesn't, but but supposedly or, they're or not Or will they use it or will a team, you know, could it be something involving like using a roster spot and we're like, oh, it's the 15th or the 18th man or something like that. Like there, there are, so, there well, are yeah, myriad Yeah, the ways. Wizards have never brought in some... <sighs> Well, yeah. Some like but, shitty international player, but, but you you get what I'm saying. Like there are, there are ways that this can get th- th- there. You know, we talked about the CBA having being full of unintended consequences. I maybe it's my background in politics and stuff. I just I see the possibilities here, and yeah. that doesn't mean there are guarantees. That doesn't mean they're going to ever happen at all. But the the idea that it is a it is a possibility, and the other part of it is like I don't think the NBA is hurting for people who want to buy teams. Like this seems like something that you would do you know like you know like any boat in a storm but there's no storm and there's not looking to be one anytime in the future like it's not a situation like i don't understand the golf situation significantly because i stopped watching golf a long time ago but the like the idea of like oh this might be financially unstable the nba is incredibly financially stable it's a business they all want to make money i mean you could also even make the argument that they can only buy in the sovereign wealth funds 20 percent of a team so they're never going to have control of them and there's a, in theory these safeguards to prevent that and then it boosts the values of the team like nobody if you're ted leonsis you just made a bunch of money basically for nothing and so if they want to just throw some money at you just to, i mean they'll get some of the profit of it too obviously but uh, in terms of the money it makes and if the whole team ever sells but i i, I just don't see enough of a difference between them like oh like uh, i mean again you're gonna need to get into like wh- whose politics are right or long, wrong but uh, i'm sure there are plenty of nba owners who have uh somewhat similar views on certain social issues <laughs> as the Qatari investment fund in some ways and uh, i think it just if i were running the nba if i like if you ultimately had to ask me like should we allow this or not when you weigh the business interests and the potential negative impacts, I I think I ultimately would be okay with it. if I if I were someone who actually like worked at the NBA and ran a team, stood to benefit financially. I have standards of like what I'm willing to do. We turned down a, to benefit financially. We turned down a lot of sponsors that I just don't think are any good. And like TikTok came to us one time and like wanted or, or through our agency and wanted to be on. I was like, no, I'm not going to do a, a ads for TikTok uh, due to their connections uh, to the Chinese Communist Party and some of the risks there but for this i think that uh as you like to say the juice is worth the squeeze but this is, this is an interesting discussion i'm glad we we talked about this we don't talk about this that much. uh but we should probably get back to something unless you have a rebuttal uh to talk about uh i guess we can let you pick the team we're gonna start with reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Let's start with the Toronto Raptors. I mean, I I started getting into the possibilities of their news earlier, 
And it's it, this is speculation season rather than like definitive reporting season. But um, we do have reporting, and he's not a free agent, that OG Ananobi is leaving Clutch Sports. And also notable that Clutch has Fred Van Vliet as a client. But they um, he's going to leave for somewhere else. Now, what does that mean for the Raptors? We don't really know. I just wanted to mention at the outset that's, you know, kind of thinking about the uncertainty that they have. But the two principal factors for them now that Gary Trent Jr. picked up his option are, and you could argue, and I would, that they were before, are Fred Van Vliet and Jakob Pertl. Just to kind of paint the full picture, if you if you penciled in that the Raptors would dec- would not guarantee Justin Champagny and Joe Wieskamp, both of whom have non-guarantees, then they also have a either pay Thaddeus Young $1 million to go away or $8 million to be a Raptor. Those are both decisions. So if we want to go with the most flexible version of it the raptors would be let's say that'd be letting thaddeus young go they're actually about 48 million below the tax line which is a lot of money but you have to think about what they would theoretically be you know where they'd be filling that and they have full bird rights on van fleet they have full bird rights on yaka Pertle if those players choose to return. So there is a lot that Masai Ujiri has to navigate here and a lot that is not in his control. Yeah, so let's say that again. No Van Vliet, no Pirtle. They're about 50 million below the tax line. Yes. And OG Ananobi, or sorry, not OG Ananobi, uh, Gary Trent Jr. opting in when it seemed like they may just kind of be moving on from him, and perhaps they still can, but that might have been a $19 million that they didn't necessarily expect to have on their books. And it's like, I think they could barely stay below the tax. Maybe if they bring back Van Vliet and Jakob Pertl for what's kind of been bandied about there, $30 million a year for Van Vliet. We don't even get into the years there. And then $20 million a year is what Stein posited for Pertl which seems a little insane to me for for Jakob Pertl particularly when you also had to give up a top six protected pick in this draft and the way that that possibly limits your optionality as well don't love that how good do you th- let's say they just they bring back Van Vliet 30 million a year probably actually worth that okay for when especially when you consider how well he just fits on any team for maybe the first couple of years he's 29 but pretty undersized I think that grows to the point where he's kind of a lower end starter by the end of that still a an okay player but not maybe worth that money by like year four if you're talking year four and they bring back Pirtle not let's say they don't use an exception because they're so close to the tax is that a good idea should they do that it doesn't produce a team to me that makes real noise in the east they of course have a lot of defensive talent there with Siakam and Ananobi and Fred Van Vliet and they, you know, depending on how they want to go at center with Pirtle and Precious Chichua and everything else, I don't think their offense is good enough for them to be really threatening. Could they win a series? Depending on the matchup, maybe. But that's not the type of team that I'm super interested in. It could still be palatable for the Rock for the Raptors because Van Fleet and Pirtle might be on contracts that are movable if you decide to change course. But the so there are kind of a couple different calcu- like calculations to make here. One of them is just, you know, like the, you know, full steam ahead. And I think that's a really worthwhile element to consider. Do you agree with my general assessment? Like make the playoffs, but not make a ton of noise with the that kind of bringing it back foundation. Yeah, I think they're headed towards not making a ton of noise. I agree with you there. So so then you think about some of the branches, because the most extreme would be you like let those guys go or you structure it with a sign in trade. So you get a trade exception or something else. And especially with the Pascal Siakam sabotaging his own trade value situation from earlier in the week. 
I wonder if the Raptors can truly get bad enough that they could really maximize their draft equity. Now, maybe they could oh, get to a place. And they owe a top six protected pick? Exactly. They owe a top six protected pick. And they also have all these other good players. And so, like, if you, you know stripped it down so it's you know scotty barnes and company and it's you know he's the best player and you do everything else like a i'm not sure you'd be bad enough and b you know you the margin there it's it's different than the top four protected pick where like even if you had the worst record it's still a coin flip you could get it better than a coin flip but i don't know the raptors could even be that bad in the first place so that means in some ways maybe what your target is 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 more of a middle ground where your hope and whether this is realistic or not is is up to each of us to evaluate is can you are you willing to hold the line on signing players to contracts that you that you think you can be happy with in the near term and are not have at least a reasonable chance of being intriguing beyond this season i guess i as you just went through like there isn't really any other realistic choice so I guess you just hold on to Siakam. I guess you can view it as a positive that he's saying he doesn't want to re-sign somewhere else if he gets traded. And I think Van Fleet, I guess it kind of depends what he wants. So if he would rather, I, I think he probably would rather be in Toronto than in Houston. Although by the end of that contract, I might actually like Houston's future more. And what I, about I mean, Orlando? Like they're yeah, further we'll see. along. I, I mean, is I don't know. There hasn't been much reporting that Orlando is really like ready to hit the gas pedal like that. Um, so, I, and I think there could also be sign and trade options that would emerge for him too, right? The Lakers have been another team, especially because clutch client that kind of shows up there. And hey, if you could maybe get your hands on a future pick, they don't. They are out one pick. They don't have any other future picks coming or going from the portal deal. Is the only one that they're out. So I think you certainly explore sign and trades if there's something you could get back but i think ultimately i would try to make a competitive offer to fred van vliet and if he leaves for like 35 million a year to houston where you're just like fuck we can't trade this deal then okay i guess you just your decision kind of gets made for you but i think i don't love this option but i guess your your best option is let's just run it back with these guys and see what happens and are we really going to get much worse much less for the trading these guys at the deadline again if we have to like van vliet would hopefully be movable and let's see maybe we get a better alchemy together we get back at least the level that we were two years ago maybe scotty barnes takes that rumored big leap we we're hoping for from him last year that now in year three maybe that he won't disappoint as much maybe siaka will become a better shooter now i certainly would be listening again on all these guys too i listen on siakam listen on Ananobi. if there were a good deal for either of those guys yeah i would pull the trigger particularly because it's just when you consider the tax and a possible barnes extension as well and maybe even something for precious achua eventually you know re-signing siakam re-signing Ananobi, still having a re-signed van vliet and barnes not on his rookie deal anymore like that you can't do that so some of these guys have to be traded eventually but i think if there isn't that great of an offer i guess you just run it back if you can now uh, so van vliet could be the pivot point because they might decide okay if van vliet's gone then let's see what we can get for Ananobi, and maybe that's three first run picks and even though we owe this top six protected to the spurs man that top six is tough like if it were just top eight i think you could feel a little better about it but yeah it just makes it things really difficult and well and, and, and like, i agree like, 
like that was just such an own the... goal for like Jakob Pertl to to just limit your optionality like that going forward. It was just weird. Well, and also to limit your optionality in terms of like trading for him in the first place, it seemed like they were so confident that the best pathway was to just running it back. And you and I are just so much less optimistic that that is worthwhile because, you know, getting him for last year, you know, it helped. There were times that I, th- I thought having him was nice, but it was the like, oh, we need his bird rights. And there's a chance he gets squeezed a little bit by the market. You know, like 20 million does seem optimistic to me relative to the amount of teams that actually have 20 million to offer and what they aren't particularly center needy like the Pistons and the Rockets, obviously. So maybe Pirtle, you get him for a little bit less and you listen on everybody that the part that I want to caution, you know, Raptors fans and, and Messiah, if he listens, is I don't think it's a certainty that a lot of their players are more in demand in February than they are now. And Ananobi, you know, he's getting closer to unrestricted free agency. The extension rules may be insufficient for him, but at least he could tie deeper roots to that area. There will be teams that get desperate, but are those the pick rich teams if that's the the direction that you want to go? And so I th- there there is this like the status quo is a choice part of it. But there's also the even if last season was disappointing, there is no guarantee that these players up their trade value over the next six months. No guarantee for me whatsoever. It's funny, too, because Ananobi has almost less value to the Raptors than he does to another team because they have a lot of other athletes. I think it's really more the Barnes and Siakam fit than throwing Ananobi in there. But if he were he's a solid enough shooter at the three but if you were like an unbelievable shooter at the three then maybe Barnes and Siakam coexist a little more or uh, Ananobi could play the two but Ananobi has a shitload of value for a team that wants to go all in and is ready to win he does for a team that's kind of mid-level those three and D guys don't necessarily uh, have uh, as much to offer and I don't think that he's a guy who's going to explode the way Mikhail Bridges is going to even though we've seen these late clear career surges from some of these three and D types I think he's just he's a little bit too mechanical uh, with his offense uh, for me to see that coming for him although I, not to say i saw it with bridges or jimmy butler either uh okay what do you what would you take for Ananobi? what is the minimum offer that you would him for for me it's more about quality of asset than quantity of asset where you know like so I, it could even be a single first that quantity i thought is had... a quality all its own danny yeah but uh, as we've seen with some of these picks that went like that Knicks Hornets and stuff that isn't necessarily yeah. no, true no, in the I, NBA I, I got you I just I just yeah. wanted wanted to but so that that leads you to the idea of like or, or even it could be you know like for let's say it was with a team like Memphis like you get a young player that excites you and you get a pick but I you know like if you if you have a reasonable expectation that it could be a lottery selection if it has any semblance of top five equity that would be great um in terms of more of a volume play probably i i I mean i would definitely do it with three real non-fake first round picks two i would i would want some quality involved yeah unprotected you're talking about unprotected or like really lightly protected how about you let's say the mavericks offered you josh green one of the guys they drafted this year and 2026 unprotected i haven't scouted lively or omax I would. I, I don't think I would take that because I think I could do better. Twenty. If you now if you push it out a little bit, maybe because if you push it out a little bit, maybe that gets interesting. Betting on Dallas's dysfunction, but they do have a young star who's still there and hasn't made any sort of inkling that he wants to leave yet. Golden State, Chris Paul, and Jonathan Kaminga for Ananobi and salary filler Trent. As much as I liked him as a prospect, I don't think 
Kaminga fills that right now. He has potential, but especially with some of the like the fit issues, if you think Scotty Barnes is the guy, like, oh, you're gonna you're gonna build yeah. around Barnes and Kaminga. Um, what if Golden State threw in their uh 2026? Unprotected? Yeah. So that is I think that's uh, or whatever. The, pick, pick your year. So the, the notable thing about 26 is that's when Curry's contract expires and potentially Draymond Greens if they end up lining those up. I would try to get maybe 27 or 28, but yeah, because then you're if it's unprotected, you're getting some you're getting some potential value there. So that that would be about right for me. Um, the difference between like Kuminga and Josh Green and like the Warriors being an old team that it's hard for them to improve. They've kind of given up the two timelines thing. It, it, even though I think they've been better run overall than Dallas has, there there are structural reasons to believe that they might be in a slowdown then, and that they might even be in a situation where they can't push too much better, even if they eat or they can't push too hard, even if they wanted to. Yeah, I'm thinking two really good assets. One of whom is probably a young player, I think. I would want one of them to be a young player. One of them to be a pick with significant upside and then maybe a, a swap in the future as well. For for a, a, a That has a realistic chance far enough in the future to where you know it could possibly have some upside. That would probably be about the price for me. Because again, I just am like, hey, are they even that much worse off without Ananobi? And just where is this team going? Like, what are they doing? How are they going to be good even four years from now is my question. So maybe... Maybe what you try to do is you try to piddle along here while still being respectable and pick up some more assets for the future. But it's, I mean, my approach with this group would have been don't trade for Pirtle, try to make it through the season, and then just strip it down to the studs other than Scotty Barnes. That's what I was, guys. They have so many guys who are good. And maybe I'm just wrong about the type of offers that they could getting for all these dudes, but they could be pretty darn close to the Utah Jazz and already having a piece that at least they really like in scotty barnes going forward but now it's just uh, and we thought we thought after 21 like yeah messiah like he's gonna he's an all or nothing type of guy but that was really it seemed like a one year thing because they're in tampa maybe he's he's not really someone's gonna strip down we thought he might strip it down because that's what his initial plan was in 13 14 and then they took off with with lowry and they were too good to tear it down but they're not as good as the raptors were in those lowry derozan years even either um any other like kind of housekeeping smaller stuff we gotta talk about with these guys I already talked about their non-guarantees. Um, maybe they, you know, they have restricted rights on Delano Banton, who I've had an interest in in times. Maybe you, I could see you bringing him back. I don't know exactly where he fits in the rotation. And backup point guard, I mean, the disappointment of Malachi Flynn, but just generally they haven't done a particularly good job there when they haven't had both Lowry and Van Vliet. That would be a, a, a significant place to upgrade, whether it's the tax pyramid level or something more. Yeah, if they were to lose Van Vliet and Pirtle, they would be at 17 million in cap space. That doesn't seems like an unlikely scenario based where they're headed. So I don't think we need to get into that too much. Let's say they do retain all these guys. Maybe they're able to let's say they're able to move Trent or Boucher and open up enough room for the non-taxpayer. What type of players? Any uh, throw out some names there, maybe too, would be a good fit with what they. Need. I'm excited for Grady Dick there, so I think that's less pressing to add like a movement shooter there also aren't a ton yeah but I mean, he's he's a he's 19 years old though he's not gonna be good yeah. I, I think you can't you can't assume that he'll you give him some chances but i don't think you can assume go into the season assuming that he's gonna be like your best shooter or something like that agreed agreed so you could you know you could try to bring in somebody the problem is most of those guys are more shooting specialists rather than like players who can do a lot of other stuff and can also shoot 
I, I've thought about Dante DiVincenzo as a potentially compelling fit, can do a little bit on ball. His jump shot can come and go a little bit, but also he, you know, if, especially with the defensive infrastructure that they have, he could be a, a worthwhile fit. Sorry, who is that again? DiVincenzo. Yeah, that was the name that really stuck out to me also. Like, handle the ball a little bit, but mostly play off the ball, defend. Like, that. that is a guy I would be targeting, and I, I would consider going to mid-level money for him for a couple, three years. Uh, I think that would be pretty decent. And okay i think that's about all i got on these guys brooklyn sure we were like everyone else very surprised when the nets made all the moves they did at the deadline trading Kyrie irving trading kevin durant for the significant hauls they received but then we were also surprised that they didn't make further moves to like get out of the tax and that has put the nets in a circumstance where they actually have less financial flexibility than one might expect, depending on how they navigate this next stretch, because, of course, they have players they could move. But if you want to just say, um, let's say they don't guarantee Edmund Sumner, he has a you know minimum a minimum contract that they can choose on that. And then you don't count anything for Cam Johnson, don't count anything for, you know, like Seth Curry and Yuta Watanabe or any of those type of guys. If they keep Royce O'Neal at his fully guaranteed $9.5 million, his guaranteed date is relatively early in July, then the Nets are only $15 million below the tax. And if you followed anything with Cam Johnson's free agency, it seems like he's going to get significantly more than that. So preliminarily expect the Nets, without shedding money in a different move, to kind of tr- be an over-the-tax ca- team. That doesn't, mean they'll, that doesn't mean it's destiny. It just means that's where they'll start. But that also means that from a practical standpoint, it's hard for the Nets to get much better than where they ended the 22-23 season. And how they ended the 22-23 season was not exactly a robust team ready to win a lot right now. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating, isn't it? They have pieces that I think are good. I was disappointed that they couldn't be better defensively after the trades that they made with Claxton and, uh, in theory, some pretty good wings. Simmons didn't play for them at all. So uh, perhaps there's a possibility that he could come back and be slightly rehabilitated. Although, uh, really, the only position available for him right now is backup center because Claxton is as good as he is. They have a bunch of picks going forward, but none of their own uh, until 2020. Well, Nate, there's a parallel to me in some ways from a roster construction standpoint to the Raptors where they have a lot of players that that are good basketball players that make sense on a lot of teams but because they don't have that offensive dynamic engine that can make everybody's life easier offensively they're just not good enough and it's hard to get that player especially with their assets so it I mean you could keep it going and that doesn't mean you need to trade everyone strip it down right now but it is a fundamental problem like unless Spencer Dinwiddie becomes that guy unless Cam Thomas becomes that guy it all like you know players like Dorian Finney-Smith and Claxton offensively though he has taken wonderful strides defensively and Royce O'Neal is a great example it's like they need that table setter to work as well as they need to well I think they there is a possibility with their assets of maybe getting someone although Mikhail Bridges there's no sense I don't think including him in any trade uh because again they if they were going to tank uh, that'd be one thing but uh Bridges you know I think he's uh, I expect him the way he played to contend for the all-star team this year and I think the two things separate them from Toronto I'd actually 
even say three things number one is that they their pick situation where they're plus picks in terms of stuff they can trade but they're also without any incentive for the next four years to be worse um then the other thing i'd say is they have i think more good players under contract or at least that can be re-signed potentially including mikhail bridges who's like an all-star level player on a cheap contract for three more years like toronto doesn't actually have that at this point uh so i actually i think i like their and then they have more shooting than toronto has like they're particularly because bridges can shoot i think their pieces fit together a little bit better you mentioned the financial situation and cam johnson and i think there's thought that it could get into the 25 million a year range for him now they can offer a fifth year for the 27 year old that's a big advantage possibly and something that might help them keep the price reasonable there's talk that detroit and his old coach monty williams might want to get in there but it seems like they should be should they be willing to go 25 million a year for cam johnson i have qualms about his defense but shooting with reasonable size generally ages and travels pretty well and the beauty of restricted free agency is that presumably if cam johnson gets an offer like that it's because another team thinks he's worth it and now that can change quickly including with former teammate deandre aden but yeah i would especially with where the cap is going i would 25 i would be willing to pay i think that's reasonable he is 27 a little bit of an injury history but a skill set that should age okay i think that's fair and a skill set that also is going to be in demand given the number of teams that he's been linked to as well including maybe indiana now that'll put him 10 million into the tax if they if they sign that deal maybe they could keep the per year down a little bit by going to a fifth year but they have joe harris making 20 million i don't know that i need to give up a first round pick to get off of joe harris it also just stretch joe harris too to get under i don't think that even be the end of the world and they've also got patty mills making 6.9 like i think he's someone you could give up a second or something to get off of not even necessarily that uh, if you needed to i think there's also just a possibility that they view royce o'neill as a little bit redundant he was in the last year of his deal making 9.5 he actually only has 2.5 million of that guaranteed but you wouldn't i think he's at least neutral value there so you could easily move him like they they can manage the tax situation i'm not, I, I wouldn't be so worried about like oh we can't resign cam johnson it's like there's a, there's ways around i wouldn't want to lose cam johnson over that they should do they should do something else to facilitate it which it, which i would completely understand again them not wanting to pay the tax as of now we got to talk about a dame trade though makes sense for these guys it well okay so it presumably Mikhail Bridges is not in the deal because part of why Damian Lillard would be interested in going there is playing with Bridges. That means most of the other Nets, as much as I've said, they're like good players and some of them are on team friendly contracts. They aren't devastating to lose. The Nets also, you know, there is very little swing in their own picks over the next little while. So, and they don't even have them in the first place. So primarily what you're trading is the equity that you got from the Phoenix Suns. But why I would be extremely reluctant to do this for them is, I don't think, as much as I like Damian Lillard, I don't think that he makes you good enough. The way that this trade becomes worth it is, and it could be a screaming deal for the Brooklyn Nets, is if the way that it happens is Portland overvalues what you have. So, like, for example, if Portland sees Ben Simmons as anything other than one of the absolute worst contracts in the league, well, then this trade is probably going to be a steal for Brooklyn because you're getting out of one of the worst contracts. There are lots of ways, you know, like, in a way, it's sort of paralleling the... And Simmons has to be the matching side. There's really no other way I see that their team make it. Considering 
bridges like we're we're using as a as a part of the premise, and you agree with me that bridges is not going to be a part of the deal. Yeah. Then yeah, I mean, I, I the, mean, you know, they could do Spencer Dinwiddie and Joe Harris. I guess if if you were just like, if you could save some am like if you had, could avoid having to give up all of your ammo. Well, and if you and if you were a game, you could do a sign. You could do a signed and traded um, Cam Johnson if if Portland wanted him and he wanted to go. Yeah, I mean, I think I would want to keep Cam Johnson. You know, he's a pretty good player. It's funny if the Nets were just in the West, I would probably be a lot more interested in trying to trade for Dame, and that that's a team that would have a puncher's chance and could make some noise. As opposed to in the East, you just you got to get past those three teams at the top that don't seem. Eh, maybe the Bucks are going somewhere. We'll see. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe that team could cause Philly some problems. Like, and I, it, I they, so, they have the yeah. person. They have the personnel to to do it in terms of a drop coverage. Well, so so let's think about this. This is Dame Bridges, Finney Smith, Cam Johnson, Nick Claxton. That's a pretty good starting lineup. That's pretty good. They don't have much coming off the bench at that point. And and if you include Simmons in the deal, they're. I mean, Lillard is incredibly expensive long term, but it's not ludicrous. Well, actually, yeah. And then you would have still Dinwiddie, Joe Harris coming off the bench. Uh, obviously, like th- you're not like just throwing away the idea, right? I think the bigger issue is you've got to beat an offer from probably Miami, right? And Miami's big matching salary would probably be Tyler Hero as opposed to Simmons. Now, Simmons, if I'm Portland, I'm certainly going to pretend that I think Ben Simmons is the worst contract in the NBA, and that's a reasonable approach. But I also kind of secretly think in the back of my mind, like, yeah, maybe we could even rehabilitate him at least a little bit here to where he could help us with this young group but in, in any event that's, that's oh, oh you, you mean help us in in the way of strengthening portland's future draft equity <laughs> no i mean that def- he could like he, you know he run up and down with these guys like have a healthy season no I, pressure I mean, look could, better then he could be moved again you could honestly argue it's the best of both worlds that if simmons really puts it together then you could do something with it and if he doesn't then at that point he's an expiring contract you know a year from now and he made you worse probably so like that it, it, it but that you know that's it's a hard sales pitch of oh he might not be as terrible as he was last year well i think simmons is cooked athletically anyway i think uh, aside from all of the attitude issues i think that's the, the bigger problem is that he just can't jump and move the way he used to like with and the back, back issues and everything. issues and and then he came and stay healthy i mean who knows where that's physical and where it's mental uh, intersecting i mean that's that's like a pretty good team and you know what yeah you give up all these picks but that team gets you through to 2027 and then that's probably when it's all done with dame anyway and then you can just go back into a normal rebuild and are you really you think you're gonna have would you rather be like i, I think it might be worth it to give up you know these feet some eh, maybe not all of them we'll see but I mean, so they here's what they have to trade but i don't think i would i wouldn't dive into any more of my own picks going forward but we talked about it when we did the portland preview that brooklyn could trade like 10 picks and that includes if you want to say the most premium ones 2029 dallas first 2029 phoenix first swap in 28 with phoenix and uh 2027 phoenix first those are probably the big ones there so maybe you can hold on to at least like you don't have to give up the entire sun's situation well and you really also can't there. give up the entire sun situation because of the stepping rule you can give up the late picks no problem but the early step is actually a little bit thorny oh yeah 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 i'm talking about from 27 on that's that's when you're really excited to think about the suns anyway so yeah i i would make a competitive offer to him if it's okay we want every extra draft pick you have 
plus more of your own picks going forward? You know, would I be willing to throw a Noah Clowney and a Derek Whitehead in to that deal? Like those are two picks that they have right now that they could still move. I think that both of them are very young. They're the exact type of guys you would think that Portland would be interested in, particularly Clowney. Yeah, I, I would make the offer. I would get into the bidding, I think, with the, just because you do, there's what else are you doing over the next three years? And I'm it's, willing to give it's up. It's such yeah. a bizarre set of incentives, but I agree with you. I hope it happens. It'd be a fun team. It'd be a really fun team. I just would want to... And, and I mean, Portland or sorry, Brooklyn could still, in theory, hold on to enough around those guys that you, I mean, they would, they would have to get another center in somebody to guard like Embiid and Giannis. Like they'd have to really start thinking about the playoff matchups and all that, but it could be a pretty sick team. I think. Well, and, and it's also the opportunity cost is so fundamentally different with them. Yeah. Now, again, they're locking themselves in to maybe some hell on the back end here with Dame, but the hope is that Bridges over the next three years, he can kind of ascend be the number one as dame is declining to be a number two as he gets towards the end of his contract yeah i'm talking myself into a lot of interesting stuff here i just sort of like yeah this is really makes sense for the nets i'm gonna say no but it kind of does and they they probably they can beat miami's offer i think it's just a question of whether portland is gonna be like well dame really wants to go to miami so we'll help him there what else is there on these guys sumner i would actually pick up his guarantee uh he guarantees in the last day of the mortuary he's making just above the minimum. i thought he showed enough he's uh, this will be his second year coming off the achilles I, I would keep him around they need his skill set too as like a slithery defense guard there is a little bit of a concern if you don't make a trade to really get better this year that leads to some things of nick claxton is going to need a new contract soon and that's probably going to be pretty big i would feel okay he's not extension eligible anyway you will have full bird rights on him after the year that seems like one where maybe if it's just it looks like things are going sideways you might think about trading him at the deadline i think it's too early to consider that at this point he's just a young good player right now and the center market as we saw even with like Kristaps Porzingis is there are only so many suitors for guys at center even guys like him who are pretty good and he does have some limitations too just because he's so thin even though I think he's a wonderful help defender and switch guy he just like not being able to guard some of the biggest guys particularly when we're maybe moving into a new era now where that's more important than it has been in the last 10 years I think you're okay just holding on to him and let's see what happens when he gets to free see with the bird right you cannot extend him because he's only on it um i try to bring back it doesn't seem like they have room for you to watanabe uh it doesn't seem like there is really a situation unless johnson leaves that they could use the full mid-level it seems like they're going to try to stay out of the tax so the taxpayer mid-level not really an option at this point so it's kind of just dame or bust i think can't what happens with cam johnson what happens with dame and then maybe trying to cut some salary uh, in the form of those guys that we mentioned joe harris being the, the most obvious choice there patty mills probably number two they could resign sign seth curry that's another thing they might look at particularly if they have to move on from harris or mills they have full bird rights on him but they're limited in how much they can pay there but perhaps if they could open up enough room to bring him back i think we're done here apologies of course that we did not get to the mock-off season we were trying to record it today but fortunately east coast weather and airports intervened so we are hoping as soon as the travel gods allow to get you that but i think this is a fun discussion and uh sets the stage for the mock-off season it's not you Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 